We wish you welcome. We wish you welcome on also our listeners. We wish you welcome. And we pray that the Lord Jesus himself will give you his peace today, no matter what is going on today. Always remember that God is still on his throne and everything will come out all right. We're turning to the 17th chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. And we touched just a little bit on the transfiguration. And as to the transfiguration and as to tradition, the transfiguration took place on Mount Tabor or Mount Tabor. But then again, it may be just possible that it was on a mountain close to Caesarea of Philippi, as we would gather from Matthew 16, verse 13, because they were in the coasts, as it says, or in the area of Caesarea of Philippi, which actually may have been Mount Meron, or Jebel Jermuk, that's also the mountain there, an elevation standing high above the surrounding area. So it's hard to know where. That area is located about 12 miles north of Capernaum and is situated at the northwest tip of the Sea of Galilee, but then again, some located on the lower slopes on, on, Mount Hermon, on Mount Hermon. Let's go to Matthew 17, verse 1. And after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brings them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. Now, Matthew records, as we see, that the transfiguration happened six days after the closing of chapter 16. Luke, though, says about eight days. But then again, in some areas, the way of speech is such that close to a week is often referred to as eight days. In fact, my grandmother used to do that. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, verse 2, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. In the robe, white as the light, and his face that did shine as the sun, we may see glory and majesty and radiance, the radiance of the heavenlies. Look at Matthew 28, verse 3, where it says that his countenance 
was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. In Mark 16, verse 5, at the resurrection and entering into his sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side clothed in a long white garment. Also very white. In Acts 1, verse 10, at the ascension, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, the Lord went up. Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. The same thing again. Stanley M. Horton in the Complete Biblical Library writes about this. He writes, Such brilliance, reminiscent of the sun and its light, is characteristic of beings of heavenly orange origin. And the light of the glory of the Lord as not a light that was shining on him. It was an inner radiance. And we see another example of a transformation, a change, a conversion, a renewing of the mind. Look at Second Corinthians 3, verse 18. This is from the Living Bible. But we Christians have no veil over our faces. We can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him. That's what Paul wrote. The description seems to want to tell us that for a moment the Lord was endowed, he was graced, he was given a glorified, a heavenly body, or raiment at least. He had J. Vernon McGee in his writing through the Bible. He writes, and I quote, the light shone from within him rather than upon him from the outside like a spotlight. And McGee adds, at this point, let me make a suggestion that perhaps it was this sort of thing that closed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before, they, before their fall. After they sinned, he writes, they discovered that they were naked. The implication is that they were not naked before, which leads me to believe, he writes, that they were clothed with this type of light. And it was the humanity of Jesus that was transfigured. Now, I had a little bit of a problem with that because I don't like anything that smells of fanaticism. But I looked on because I kept on thinking about the phrase to put on Christ, as we read in Galatians 3, verse 27. He writes, you put on Christ... And it comes from the word and do all in Greek. And the definition of that word is to clothe or to be clothed with in the sense of sinking into a garment. Just wanted to share that. The word transfigured, that's a very interesting word. It is a metamorphosis, which means a change of form or structure. 
uh, the little woolly caterpillar, which will someday become a beautiful butterfly by the process of metamorphosis. And McGee again writes, this body that I have today, filled with infirmity and cancer, as he had, will someday be transfigured, and even those who are alive at the coming of Christ will be changed, transfigured. This is the hope of humanity, J. Vernon McGee writes. So true. Verse 3, And behold, there appeared unto them, the disciples watching, Moses and Elias talking with him. And Luke writes in his gospel, in Luke 9, verses 28 through 35, and this from the Philips Bible, and then while the Lord was praying, the whole appearance of the face, of his face changed, and his clothes became white and dazzling. And two men were talking with Jesus. There were Moses and Elijah, revealed in heavenly splendor, and their talk was about the way he must take at the end, and he must fulfill in Jerusalem. The way he must take and the end he must fulfill in Jerusalem. So this tells that Moses and Elijah knew about the things that were happening here on earth. And what the Lord was going to do, what he was about to accomplish. Now, both Moses and Elijah are a bit different from other Old Testament saints. And they're both mentioned in Malachi 4, Moses in verse 4 and Elijah in verse 5. Verse 4 says, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. And in verse 5, Behold, I will send to you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Both Moses and Elijah left this earth differently than usual. Moses died in Moab at the end of the work God had given him to do. We read about that in Deuteronomy 34, verses 5 through 7. This from the New International Version. I use the different versions because I want to give a, a clean, understandable text. This is Deuteronomy 30, 40, verses 5 through 7. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. 
Now, Elijah was caught up to heaven in a whirlwind after a chariot came in between him and Elisha. Elijah was his assistant or servant and disciple. Elijah would not leave Elijah. And we read about it in Second Kings, the verses. Second Kings, the second chapter, verse eleven. And it came to pass, as they still went on, the two of them, and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So why these two? Well, Horton, Stanley M. Horton writes, Moses, as the receiver of the law and the old covenant, was, as a prophet, a type after Christ. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. And then he writes, Elijah was named after, Horton does, Elijah was named after the Messiah's forerunner, as we read in Malachi 4 verse 5, as we already did in the New International Version. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And remember that phrase, it will give you guidance in Scripture following. Horton again writes, During the Great Tribulation, at the end of this age, the power of both Moses and Elijah will be manifest, will be made evident, obvious, for each of the, because each of the two witnesses will have the power of both, and he quotes Revelation 11, the verses 1 and 2 from the New International Version. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, Go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshippers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. McGee writes, Moses was a representative of the law, and Elijah was a representative of the prophets. The law and the prophets bore testimony to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, take notice of the fact that all three disciples that were with the Lord on the mountain recognized Moses and Elijah without having been told who they were. And maybe they knew this instinctively by the Holy Spirit because God does reveal to his own children what is important and useful. That's right. Let's go to verse 4. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, 
Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. So it says here that Peter answered on verse 3, but they were just looking. They came. It says, And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him, with the Lord. And then Peter answered, and <laughs> then that sound like Peter, and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. And of course, Peter's remark, it's good to be here, does not even touch at what is happening here. Peter seems, he did seem to sense the extraordinary circumstance of this experience, but was at the same time probably a bit uncertain what he should do, how he should react to. So he offered to build three tabernacles or tents or booths for the three heavenly visitors, probably to keep them here or in case they wanted to stay, it's good for us to be here, he said. But the transfiguration was only short. It didn't last too long. And before Peter could finish, before Peter could finish speaking, he already was interrupted, verse 5, while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Not a rain cloud, but a bright cloud as seen before in God's dealings with people. As in, for instance, Exodus 16, verse 10, where it says, It came to pass as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. It's used so often in Exodus 19, verse 9, 24, verses 15 through 18, Chapter 33 to verses 9 through 11, 1 Kings 8 verse 10, Acts 1 verse 9, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 17, Revelation 11 verse 12. Let's read that one. They heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud. From the presence of the bright cloud, God's voice came saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. At times it's better to listen than to talk. Peter was a talker, and probably he was a bit nervous on top of that, and talked a bit more maybe. And whether it was directed at Peter, it seems to me, it is directed at each one of us. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. Of course, these words, this whole scene 
encouraged and strengthened the disciples in the days following and in the years to come. And all his disciples should take this advice. Let's go to verse 6. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. They were afraid. Sure, they were terribly frightened, terrified. They were overcome with fear. And they fell prostrate on the ground. Luke records in Luke 9 verse 32, Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. So we may conclude that the transfiguration could have happened at night or in even time. And then the Lord in his kindness, he came and touched them. Verse 7, Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. Moses and Elijah were gone. And only the Lord was still there. Verse 8. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Verse 9. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. They weren't allowed to tell anyone of this literal mountaintop experience, not until the Lord had risen from the dead. They had to wait until after the Lord's resurrection, and then they could, then they should, then the disciples must tell about their Lord Jesus, the Messiah. That was God's plan and design. And then the disciples, the apostles, would witness to what they had seen and experienced on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the way Peter writes about it, you can sense that the experience was still close and also holy to his heart. You can read it in Second Peter 1, verse 18. He writes, We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And actually, it was only after the resurrection and after the Lord had opened their hearts and understanding with his explanations on the road to Emmaus, remember that it helped them to see the true meaning of the Old Testament prophecies. We find in Luke 24, the verses 45 to 47, it says, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And then on the day of Pentecost, it was then that the disciples, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, began to bring the truth of the gospel clearly and with understanding and with power. A set on the truth on fire. While his disciples 
took the Lord's message out into the world. And they did so. And they still do. Mark and Luke also record the transfiguration. And these three Gospels are in full agreement with each other. John doesn't record the incident. His Gospel would be out of place here because John's Gospel reveals the Lord Jesus as the Son of God and eternal life. And there the transfiguration doesn't fit. Luke adds... In Luke 9, verse 29, excuse me, in the New International Version, he says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. The King James Version, and as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white. And glistening. Luke presents our Lord as Son of Man, and there, as we saw, we often read that the Lord prayed, just as Luke and his gospel is telling us. So Here we can learn how things will be. The Lord in glory, his face shining like the sun, as Matthew records. In Mark and Luke, the voice out of the cloud says, This is my beloved son, hear ye him. But Matthew alone records as God having spoken, this is my beloved son in whom I have found delight. Hear ye him. The advice we so often feel in our hearts in a sense of stop talking and arguing about what you think. Hear ye him. And we see more. We see resurrected saints around him while his glory covers him and them. The Lord took his closest disciples with him for this marvelous happening and they would personally witness to the Lord's glory on this mount of transfiguration. Even years later, Peter writes in 2 Peter 1, the verses 16 and 17. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were there with him on the sacred mountain. Verse 19. We also have the prophetic message as something 
completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. That's quite a witness. And at the end of his life, Peter again refers to the transfiguration experience, to that scene of glory on the mountaintop, what he saw long ago. He writes about it in Second Peter Chapter 1, verse 14, he says, Knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Arno C. Gablin, in his book, The Gospel of Matthew, writes, We learn from this that the transfiguration as interpreted not by men but by the Holy Spirit is the pattern of power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That wonderful scene on the holy mountain of which Peter had been eyewitness was a pattern of the return of the Lord visibly and gloriously to the earth surrounded by his saints. The entire Old Testament prophetic word speaks of this great event. And for this reason, the transfiguration of the Lord is a confirmation of these prophetic predictions. And more than that, the earnest of their final and complete fulfillment. We have the word of the prophets made surer in the scene of the transfiguration because in the transfiguration we can see what prophet after prophet has spoken about. The transfiguration is the pattern of the coming of the Lord and we shall be changed as we also read in 1st Thessalonians 4 the verses 13 through 18 at the rapture of the church and in Corinthians at this time our Lord is in the presence of the Father as our intercessor and our advocate, while soon we will see him as he truly is. God bless you.